0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Father, we pray that as we prepare to go forth from this place to minister in your name, whether it's in our community, our students did this weekend or around the world, that you would strengthen us now by the power of your spirit and equip us through your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 14 as we've been walking through the gospel of Mark, and we have come to the the passion week, uh, the the last week of Jesus' life leading up to the cross and the resurrection And of course, one of the key events of that week is the Last Supper. But what we're going to talk about this morning really is how the Last Supper becomes the Lord's Supper as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper at the end of the service today. I'm so thankful for our student ministry, thankful as a pastor, and thankful as a dad uh, just for the, the kind of life and vibrancy uh, that we have in, in our student ministry. And um, it was just so thrilling this weekend. Uh, just to see them out in our community ministering and huddled in small groups studying God's Word. And in large groups and worshiping uh, together. And just so thankful for, uh, for Michael and our, just our great team of uh, volunteers that we have in our student ministry. You guys are, are just the best. Well, we're going to walk through 31 verses uh, this morning of uh, Mark 14. We're going to cover all 31 of them. So I'm going to read them as we walk through the text this morning. Winston Churchill was one of the greatest leaders in history, not only because of his courageous convictions, but because of his ability to communicate those convictions effectively. And Churchill did that both through his speeches, and through his writings, the spoken word and the written word. He's known mainly for his speeches, but he was a great writer. And after World War II, Churchill actually wrote six volumes of memoirs on the Second World War. And volume one was entitled, The Gathering Storm. And last week, we saw that in chapter 13, that Jesus prophesied that a storm was one day going to gather around Jerusalem and that, in fact, the temple was going to be destroyed. But now in chapter 14, we see that the storm is gathering around Jesus himself. What we're seeing here is that the dark, ominous clouds are hovering directly over Jesus, and Jesus is going to take the full force of the storm for us. Out of love. Let's walk through these verses as we prepare to to take part in the Lord's Supper today. Look at verses 1 and 2. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people." You know, anti-Semites have tried to say for centuries that the Jewish people killed Jesus. That's really not true. Theologically, it was all of us, because he died for all of us. It was all of our sins that put him on the cross. But, but just in a human sense, it wasn't so much the people as it was a select group of leaders who were plotting his death because their power was being threatened. But it was very tricky for them to do this during this time of year because, as it says here in verse 1, it was the Passover. So the Passover was the, the most important celebration of the Jewish year. It was the celebration of their freedom which happened when God delivered them from slavery in Egypt and brought them out, delivered them, but that was a deliverance that was accomplished through a death, because God told them to kill a lamb, the Passover lamb, and take the blood of the lamb, and put it on their doorposts, and when they did, the death angel would pass over their home, and they would be able to leave and be delivered from slavery, and of course, all of those Passover lambs pointed to the ultimate lamb, Jesus who John one twenty nine says, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was all about Jesus. And so Jesus is the one who delivers us from slavery to sin and who ultimately takes us to the promised land where we'll be with him forever. Verses 3 through 9. of these plotters in verses 1 and 2, and the love of this woman for Jesus in verses 3 through 9. And this sort of continues Mark's theme of of insiders and outsiders. Those who are inside, the ultimate insiders, the religious leaders, are plotting his death. And here is this woman, and women were very much outsiders as far as having any influence in that, Culture. here's this woman showing this incredible love for Jesus, and it takes place not in Jerusalem itself, but in Bethany, which is outside of the city, and it takes place at the home of Simon the leper, and lepers were most definitely outsiders, outcasts, and so what we've seen in the Gospel of Mark is that the, the, the insiders don't get it, for the most part, and it's the outsiders, the outcasts cast, who who see, who have eyes to see, and who are are coming to to Jesus. And we we see that here. So it's a dinner party at the home of Simon the leper. What do we know about him? Well, he wasn't a leper at that point, because had he still been a leper, there's no way he would have been hosting a public event like this. He was called Simon the leper because He had once had leprosy, but now he had been healed of leprosy, and almost certainly the one who did the healing was Jesus. And the Gospel of John also tells us that sitting around the table in Bethany that night was Lazarus. Lazarus, whom whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So you have one man who's sitting there who's been healed of this horrible disease by Jesus, another uh, who has been healed from death, by Jesus, and they're around the table. And then the sisters of Lazarus were there. Martha, John tells us, was serving. And then, Lazarus' other sister, Mary, comes into the room. Now, what do we know about Mary? We know that she was incredibly devoted to Jesus. There's another text in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 10, that really uh, brings out uh, Mary's character. In a beautiful way, Luke 10 and verses 38 and following, it says, Now they went on their way, and Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving." And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So what stands out here about Mary's character is that she was just devoted and concentrated on her her love for Christ. Christ. She was not a calculating person, she was a concentrated person, and her, her love was was centered, concentrated on Jesus. And she was the type of person that was able to sort of ignore lesser things, less important things, and focus on the main thing. And Jesus says she has chosen what is best. And we see her just sitting at the feet of, of Jesus. She was devoted to him, and we see that coming out here in this passage. Because what does she do? Mary comes in, and she has this flask of of pure nard, which was this incredibly expensive oil for anointing. And she takes this flask, and she just breaks it open, and pours it all out on Jesus. It was worth over 300 denarii, which means it was worth over a, a year's wages. And it was all being poured out. Now, the reaction of those who were present was not, wow, what a loving thing to do. The reaction of those sitting there was that they were indignant. In fact, verse 4 says that they uh, the, 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 act, the Greek word there, when it says they were indignant, it means they, were sort, they sort of snorted uh, with angry indignation. They were snorting like, uh, like angry horses because of what she had done. Now, the Gospel of John tells us that Judas was upset because Judas liked to have his hand in the, in the till, in the cookie jar, and this would uh, deplete his ability to steal more. But Mark makes it clear that Judas wasn't the only one who was upset with her. Passover was a time when they would give to the poor. And so some of these other men are like, could this not have been used more productively? I mean, after all, the, the, the scent of this ointment is going to fade. It's, it's, it's already fading. But Jesus says, no, it's not going to fade. Jesus says that for as long as the gospel is preached throughout the world, the scent of this fragrance is going to linger, and it has. And we're still talking about it today. And Jesus says, she has done a beautiful thing for me. What, what made it so? Well, first of all, it was the fact that she did it with such a loving motive. It was her her loving motive. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. <laughs> Ken Hughes tells about a time when um, his little little boy, uh, Kent, Kent Jr., uh, did an incredible act of, of, of love. It was his wife Barbara's birthday, and uh, Barbara had a, a special uh, box of recipes and she, she loved that box. It had special hand-painted decorations on it and so forth and so it was kind of special to her and little, little Kent knew that it was special to his, his mom and so he wanted to give her a surprise for her, her birthday. And so Kent decided that for his mom's birthday that he would sort of clean out her box which means he would dump all of her recipes uh, into the trash uh, and then he would wash her box, which means that he scraped off all of the hand-painted recipes. And inside of the box, he, which he handed to his mom on his birthday, Kent had put a nickel, a plastic uh, alligator, and a picture of himself of Kent. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about if your house caught on fire, if your house or apartment caught on fire. What would you go back to, to to retrieve first? If you knew the house was going to burn down, what would you get first? Kent Hughes says, if we knew that our house was burning down, one of the first things that we would get would be that box. Because that was an act of pure, innocent love. And that's what we see here. We see her her loving motive, and Jesus delights in that. We also see here her spirit-led obedience John Calvin, in, in commenting on, on Mary's action, says she was guided by the breath of the Spirit that she should do this. How many times do we squelch the promptings of the Holy Spirit? The, the Spirit prompts us to, to do something, uh, some act of spontaneous obedience. To speak some word of love, or to share the gospel with someone, or to do some act of kindness for someone that's spontaneous And we talk ourselves out of it. Or we let somebody else talk us out of it. Kent Hughes says this, Among the tragedies of life are the times we are moved to do something fine and noble, and we do not do it. Instead, we yield to common sense or the busyness of life. We ignore the impulse to write a letter of appreciation or the prompting to tell someone we love them or the urge to give to a need. Thus, the possibility of a thing of beauty is gone forever. But Mary doesn't miss the moment. The Spirit leads and she acts on the leading of the Spirit. The third thing I think that makes it so beautiful is that it was a sacrifice. I mean, think of all that you could do with a year's wages. But Mary, as we've seen, is not a calculating person. If she had been a calculating person, there's no way she would have done this. She is a concentrated person and she has a simple childlike love for Jesus. And she just takes it and she pours it out on him. And Jesus says her sacrifice anticipates the sacrifice that he is about to make. Jesus says she has anointed me for burial. Her sacrifice of of pouring this out anticipates what Jesus is going to do for all of us. Because Mary takes pure nard, and breaks it open and pours it out. Jesus, out of pure love, is going to be broken and poured out for us on the cross. Verses 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Do you see how Mark here in this chapter just keeps, he's going back and forth between evil and love. Starts out with the evil plotting of these leaders, and then this loving action of Mary, and then this evil in the heart of Judas. It's just back and forth, evil and love. There's a strange mingling of evil and love. But the overall point that he's making here in this chapter is that evil, uh, that, that 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 love, the love Jesus in in love is going to take evil on himself. He's going to take our evil on himself. And pay the price for it. Atone for it. Take it on Him. Out of love for us. He he takes our evil on Himself on the cross. Verses 12 through 21. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, His disciples said to Him, Where will you have us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And He sent two of His disciples and said to them, Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Could it have been Mark? Quite possibly. Many scholars believe so. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told him. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now what stands out here is that Jesus is just in total control of everything that is happening. The religious leaders who are plotting his death are not the ones who are in control. Judas is not the one who is in control. Jesus is totally in control of everything that's happening. Jesus says in John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. This is all part of the plan of, of God uh, from the 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 person that's carrying the jar of water to the upper room that is furnished and ready to everything happening just as he had told them. Jesus is totally in control. It's important for us to remember in our lives that when things seem like they're spinning out of control, that Jesus is totally in control. There are no surprises with God. He knows what he's doing. Verses 22 through 25. They were eating this Passover meal, but then Jesus departs from the script. Typically, it would go like this. The youngest male in the family would ask the head of the family, usually the father, Father, why is this night different from all other nights? And the father would recount the story of the exodus from Deuteronomy 26 he would say this, and the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So the father would tell the story about movement From the most horrible oppression and slavery to the promised land. But that deliverance took place through a death. The death of the Passover lamb. And now Jesus departs from the script and he says, this is my body. And the word there means this is This is all of me. This is my blood. In other words, I'm giving all that I am. All that I am is being poured out for all of you. Verses 26 and following. says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same, and they all and Jesus was left alone to bear the cross for all of us. And see, this is the point here. The point in all of them taking off and fleeing is that Jesus dies not for the worthy but for the unworthy. Do you think that you're worthy to take part in this meal today? Do you think that you're worthy of salvation? Do do you think that your righteousness is sufficient to be right before God? Then you're not a Christian. You should not take part in what we're getting ready to do. But if you know that you are unworthy, if you feel that you are a sinner and that you have no hope apart from Christ, if you feel that your only hope is what Jesus did for you on the cross and in rising from the dead, if that is where your trust is, if that is where your hope is, if that is your only hope, then Jesus has come to the table that this is is about people who feel themselves to be unworthy. We are a community of people who, who know that we are unworthy. Romans 5, 8 says, this is how God demonstrates His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we thank You so much for the Gospel. We thank You that that Jesus died for, for the unworthy, for the guilty. We know that it was our sins that put Jesus on the cross. And we thank you that out of love that you gave your son for us and that he was broken and spilled out for us. We pray that you would help us now as we prepare to, to take part in this as believers, that you would help us to examine our own hearts. Lord, if there are things in our lives that um, that need to be made right, there's a relationship that needs to be made right, if there is unconfessed sin in our lives, if we're harboring something in our lives that, 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 that should not be there, Lord, deal with our hearts right now by the power of your spirit. Grant us godly sorrow for that. Grant us repentance for that. And Lord, make this a special holy time of drawing near to you and near to one another. And we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Passover lamb. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.